As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Truth Wanted. Yeah! I'm your host, Objectively Hey-o! Dan, and joining me today for a very special episode of Truth Wanted is the atheist community of Austin's very own, Matt Dillahunty. How you doing? I'm doing great. Oh, didn't yes, know. good to have you here in studio, live, of course. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know Matt, you've been living under a rock. But very briefly, uh, he has been uh, a very prominent co-host on the Atheist Experience for a long time, uh, very much longer than I've been doing Truth Wanted, that's for sure. Um, He is a magician. He is a debater. He is a Twitch streamer. He's all kinds of stuff. I mean, I don't even, I can't even keep track of all your titles, man. I I don't even try. (laughs) Yeah. I I just do a lot of stuff. I like stuff. He likes stuff. And he's here with us today. Um, Matt is one of those people that I was watching before I ever got around to doing this stuff and and this show definitely wouldn't be a thing you know if Matt wasn't out there pioneering the field of you know doing call-in shows with skeptics on board and stuff so I gotta say thank you for that Matt and uh cool I'm glad it. It. yeah you know I didn't start the atheist experience right. or or the call-in idea or anything I just been mm-hmm. doing it for a long time right um but you know if anything I've said has helped somebody or helped another show start up cool mm-hmm. so and I want to kind of talk to you about that a little bit as we get started here because I think a lot of people when they want to interview you they want to ask you the typical atheist questions and things like that but I'm kind of more interested on like how you've kind of dealt with kind of being a public figure in the movement and stuff like I know when the first time I was getting emails from people saying like oh like you helped change my mind on something. Like, I thought that was really powerful. And I imagine you get a lot more of those kinds of emails from me. Like, what is that like? For me, it never stops being powerful. Mm. I mean, it's, if I'm running around, it doesn't matter if I'm, you know, speaking on my own to a small local group or if I'm with, you know, somebody else at a 3,000-seat theater. There are people that come up and they talk about how the Atheist Experience show or debates mm-hmm. that we did or something else you know, really had an impact on their life, and that makes it worth it. It makes, you know, because 
there were people who were warning me early on because I was the president of the ACA. I was right. hosting the show. I was a librarian. I did all this other stuff. And they're like, oh, don't, don't do too much. You'll burn out. Well, here we are 14, 15 years later. Uh, yeah, not burnt out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, I, I genuinely love doing this. I mean, I, I went home. I was up the building yesterday, went home last night, did a debate on the resurrection, uh, got up today, got some other work done. I'm, I'm planning on doing a debate review and a couple other videos for the Patreon project, and then it was come up here and do Truth Wanted. Yeah, like you were kind of going over me with your schedule before the show. You're like, yeah, man, I just did the debate yesterday, got to go to American Atheist, then I got to go drive up for this thing and do this and that and that. It's like, man, that's just a lot that you're doing. Yeah, I'm you, doing a lot of driving in the next month. Right, like has it, it feels like it hasn't slowed down. I mean, like... I've seen, I mean, there's probably hundreds and hundreds of videos of you out there in all these different locations doing these different things. Do you feel like when people meet you, they, they have like a certain expectation of you based on certain videos and stuff? Do you feel like when people meet you, they, they kind of have a good sense of who you are or like? Yeah. Yeah. It's, if you've been watching me on, if you only watched highlight clips from the Atheist Experience, you mm-hmm. probably don't have an accurate understanding of who I am. I think that's Because fair. the highlight clips, you know, it'd be like, oh, Matt's going to do a rant, or Matt you know, makes this Christian look like a fool type right. thing. And I, right. I can't stand that, but that's what kind of gets popular. Mm-hmm. If you've watched, you know, the various debates and, and watched full-length shows, yeah, you probably know most of who I am, and yeah. I, I'm not all that surprising. Um, it, it's nice because... It, you know, when people come up, the, the, I, I don't like the any kind of fanboying thing because I'm mm-hmm. not important. Maybe maybe something I've said could be important, but that's the only thing that would be. And it's, I mean, I, I appreciate being appreciated. Who doesn't? Sure. Uh, but it's funny for me because I'll watch, and there are some people who can't get past the like fan. Oh my God, you're here in person, and and so the entire day that we're we're there, I just I do I do my thing. But there are other people who figure out really quickly. Oh, you're just some jackass that I could have a conversation <laughs> with and have some fun. And that's, that's how, you know, it, people end up being friends of mine for ages. Is, uh, it's, 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 a, it's great to know that you've impacted people's lives, but that should just serve, in my mind, uh, as a motivation to keep doing it and not a, you know, mission accomplished. Right. Rah, 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 look at this. Yeah, for sure. Like, I remember... Uh, I think I was hanging out at your place. We were playing some video games or something, and I missed starting the group chat. I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm just playing at Matt." So like, "You're at Matt Dillahunty's house?" It's like, "Yeah, it's just Matt, man. Like, he's just a friend of mine. Like, that's just kind of how we roll." And um, I kind of, you know, when I was first kind of meeting people, especially at the ACA and stuff, like I, the starstruck thing definitely happened to me a little bit because it was a personal part of my journey watching sure. these people online and stuff. And then when I started doing my own thing, it's like, okay, now they're just. They're just my friends, and we just we talk about this stuff. And I feel like that's pretty true for most people in kind of like the atheist community and stuff. Maybe not everybody, Probably. but I, most of the people that I've encountered, it's always like, yeah, they're just people, and they got their own issues and stuff. And a lot of them, if they have the time, they'll talk to you. And you know, it's just kind of it's kind of cool. You know, it's just kind of hanging out. I've had a great time. You know, obviously the atheist community at large uh, has a number of problems as any community oh, sure. would. There's yeah. some, something's going to go wrong yeah. and it's probably going to involve money or sex or you know whatever else. Yeah. Uh, but by and large, this community has, has not only been growing, uh, but has been welcoming. And I, conventions were really hot for a while. And then there was a, I think conventions have kind of waned a little bit in attendance because, well, maybe maybe because we have bigger issues to be concerned about in, mm-hmm. in some things, political stuff, et cetera. But what I find is when I... It doesn't matter what event I go to, whether it's my event, somebody else's event, or a convention. 
Um, the people who are showing up and coming for the first time and the people who are there for their 97th time all really care about the community. Mm-hmm. And I, I know people who will go to conventions. By the way, the American Atheist Convention is coming up in a yes. couple of weeks. Uh, I will be there. Yes. and uh, I will not be there, but I believe Eric and Jamie are Eric both and Jamie, going. me and Phil, yeah. and, uh, and I'm not sure who else, but there will be a bunch of us there. Um, I've been to almost every one of them since, you know, Iowa. But I know people who go to conventions, you don't have to do this, but nobody's going to beat you up for doing it, mm-hmm. who don't actually pay and go to the convention proper, but will stay at the hotel mm-hmm. because at the hotel bar and in the seating area, there's just tons of conversations going on. And for me, building the community um, is at least as important, if not more important, than um, you know going and listening to lectures and whatever. Yeah, it's so weird because right before I was getting involved in the atheist community myself, I was part of the Christian community. And I went to Christian conferences as part of my uh, ministry. And just the level of culture difference, the kind of culture shock between going to a Christian conference for mostly like evangelical and then like going to a conference for atheists is like really mind-blowing. It's just really funny to see. I think the biggest difference I see is like so many more people are just open to talking about anything. I mean, just anything you think of. And like the craziest conversations come up on the craziest topics. And so many people are so well-studied and well-versed on the most obscure issues and stuff. Like, hey, you want to know what people believe about flat earth? Here's a guy who's been studying for like five years. Like, hey, you want to know about, um, you know, uh, biblical manuscripts and stuff and, and how the history of that scholarship is thrown out? Like, here's a guy doing a lecture on this yeah. coming up in a few minutes. Like, and and when it came to like the Christian community, at least in my experience, and, and this probably isn't true for other things, but like, it's just, it felt like, there was kind of, I don't know, I guess a narrative to be pulled out there. Like, oh, hey, even though there's all these different Christian denominations and stuff, we're all part of the same thing and we're all trying to evangelize and we're all trying to do the same thing. And it was never, I never felt like it was an exploration of, well, what about these questions and these questions? Like, like how do we treat the gay community, for example? I remember that was one I was asking a lot in my in, in my Christian communities. And we never talked about that. It, it was always like an uncomfortable conversation. Whereas here, it's like, oh, yeah, let's, Let's fucking go. Like, let's do it, you know? It's, it's an easier answer here yeah, because, that's true. you know, hey, how do we treat the gay community? Oh, yeah. I don't know, like people <laughs> right. uh, yeah, uh, who are, you know, welcome and everything. It, yeah, it's, it's a much diff- more difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, at the same time as the American Atheist Convention, um, Ken Ham and Ray Comfort are going to be putting on a convention that same weekend yes. just, just down the road. Yes. And uh, I had kind of tried to to reach out to them a bit to see if maybe, you know, maybe we could work out something where we exchange speakers. Like, I go over to their convention and sit there and let the Christians quiz me on things for an hour, and then mm-hmm. we get, you know, Ken Hammer, Ray Comfort to come over. Yeah. It, it, it didn't happen, uh, but uh, it, I think it would have been interesting. I heard that recently on the Scathing Atheist podcast, they were talking about it because uh, the god-awful movies guys yes. did a review of one of Ray— well, they've done several reviews of Ray Comfort's movies and stuff, and they personally invited them to go to their conference. All they had to do was be on camera and say, I'm an atheist, and I think maybe they're trying to do a thing where— they get them on camera again, and they say they're not sure after they've seen their evidence they're going to present or something. I don't know, but that's, that'll be interesting. The real kerfuffle with that yeah. is they 
they wrote something about one of Ray's movies where they said this deserves to be taken down. Mm, and right. they were talking about the fact that they were going to lampoon it. Because they do kind of an... Uh, not quite an MST3K style, but it's, you know, hey, we all watched this movie and now we're going to tell you what happened in the movie and right. we're going to talk trash about it. And that's mm-hmm. what they meant by taking it down. But Ray, um, who evidently isn't as hip and cool as I am, wasn't able to figure this out right away and thought that they were calling for his movie to be banned and boycotted and yeah. removed from the internet or the interwebs. Mm-hmm. And so he threw a little fit and sent out a mailer about how these guys were trying to take his stuff down when... Really, they just, you know, he didn't get the joke, I guess. Yeah, it's... Nobody's censoring him. Yeah, and it's one of those things... I mean, we could talk about Ray Comfort all day. Ray Comfort, if you're watching, you're more than welcome to call in to Truth Wanted, by the way. I know you're a big fan. Um, And this is a call-in show. We have some open lines. We got the number down there in the corner. Please, if you're watching this live, come on down. Has Ray called in before? Ray, not here. Um, You know, uh, Saiten Bruggenkate offered to call in once... I talked to Darth Dawkins on here once. Oh, boy. Um, and that's about the extent of the big theist names that I know. You know, uh, that I've called it. I wish I'd have known because I probably, I mean, it's not like Ray and I are good friends and I don't have his phone number, but if I'd have just said, hey, I'm going to be on Truth Wanted on Friday, you want to call in? Uh, I bet he would have. And then we could have cleared up this whole thing about Eli and, and the boys trying to do cool. a takedown of his movie. <laughs> oh, we should have done that. But, uh, you know, because I remember I was talking I was talking to some people at Baylor campus, and I was talking about some street epistemology stuff. And some people mm-hmm. were comparing me. They were saying, like, oh, what you're doing is the same thing as what Ray Comfort does, and that you're going out on the street and talking to people. And I was just kind of like, well, Ray Comfort is trying to convince them that Christianity is true. I'm kind of taking a more neutral stance. And I, there's kind of some more loaded questions. There I think they misunderstood. I mean, street epistemology isn't evangelizing. Yeah, yeah. It, it is, it is an, a, a Socratic process of asking questions and getting feedback. And yes, it's a directed approach in which you're trying to get somebody to either lower their confidence level or acknowledge that they've falsely inflated it, sure. stuff like that. But, you know, you talk to like, you know, Magna Bosco and you and others who are actually doing this. At no point have I come across a street epistemologist who's like, hmm, my job is to go out and ask white people questions specifically so that they give up their religion and become an atheist. That's right. not the goal. And if you watch street epistemology channels, like the topics of conversations are super, super broad. Like, yeah. yeah. I'd say generally it tends to go towards the religious conversations. I think those are the more interesting conversations in my opinion. But, um, I mean, you're willing to talk about anything. I was watching um, – Reed Nice Wonder, who runs Courts of Curiosity, who is like talking about gender with people, like what people's concepts right. of gender was. And like, you know, Reed's a liberal guy. I'm sure he thinks the same way that you and I do about gender, but he wants to be skeptical anyway and like kind of talk to people and be like, okay, well, like, well, what's your concept of gender so that we can kind of break that down and, and be a little bit more open about it and have conversations with people on topics that they normally wouldn't feel comfortable talking about, which is. You know, it's just really fun sometimes, too. It reminds me of a long conversation. I had, a, like, a six-hour conversation with my mom around Christmas, and I already talked about the the birthday card I got on the last or atheist experience right after I got it. But one of the things that she she sent back was, you know, okay, you've closed a door, so don't ask us any more questions about our Bible. Yeah. And I think that the point that she missed is when I asked her questions about her Bible, I'm not doing it so that she can educate me. Because we all already know, and they would already admit, that I know the book better than they do Mm -hmm. in every respect. 
I'm asking the questions in a Socratic sense so that they'll get to re- recognize that, hey, there are problems here. Yeah. And she just didn't get that. She was like, well, don't be asking us any more questions about our Bible. And I'm like, okay. Right. You know, the first time I talked with my parents about all this and I kind of came out to them and stuff, I was like, hey, ask me anything. Like, I want you to figure out where I've been, what's my journey's been and stuff. And they were so hesitant, they didn't even want to talk about it. And I got the impression of maybe they felt like I knew more than them at that point. And they felt like they couldn't convince me otherwise. Or maybe they just felt like, oh, it, maybe they framed it like, oh, I've swallowed this kind of narrative. And now they can't yeah. really, you know, bring me out of it, which I, I don't think is true. But My folks didn't want to talk about it early on anyway. As a matter yeah. of fact, when I when I first talked to my dad on the phone, uh, he said he was going to think about it. And he hung up. And it turns out what they did was they hopped in the car and they went and found an event where Lee Strobel was lecturing because uh, Lee won't debate. And so they went to him and they're like, hey, our son is an atheist. What do we do? And what Lee did was he sold them copies of his books, you mm. know, the case for Christ, the right. case for, for the resurrection, et cetera. And then they gave these to me at Christmas. <laughs> and I said, thanks, Mom, you know, but I already have these books. As a matter of fact, I've already written a rebuttal to this one. Um, if you want to get me apologist books, just ask me which ones I don't have because I don't need 10 copies of sure. Evidence That Demands a Verdict or Josh McDowell's you know, Case for Christ, etc. And a couple of years ago, I did a debate here in Austin uh, against Mike Lacona, and Lee Strobel was there. And so I got to go up to Lee, have him autograph the copy of the book that my mom had given me, oh, wow. tell him this story, and then look him dead in the eye and say, Perhaps the next time parents come to you and ask you what they should do about their atheist children, your response, instead of selling them books, should be talk to your children. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think people are, just, people are just afraid to have these conversations. I think people are afraid of being wrong because if you know Christianity is true, at least most mainstream forms of it, there's going to be consequences to not having the belief. And so like, there's kind of an incentive not to doubt. There's an incentive not to have some of these conversations because, oh, you're already on you know, the right side of things. Why bother removing that and risking the potential of you know, going to hell? And that's, that's a real threat for people sometimes. Plus, I, you know, over the years, it's become clear to me in much the same way that I didn't know all that much about my religion while I was believing it. Yes. Most people don't. Yeah. And was... most people don't ever bother to study this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's you grow up in it or you are either indoctrinated as a child or you become convinced, you know, at some point and you're active in your church. And what you what religion comes to becomes to these people is this is something I believe it's part of my identity, but I don't have to know any more about it because what I really get out of it is this community yes. with all of these other people and it would be it would be seemingly absurd to think that all of us are wrong about this, so we just don't even bother to think about it or investigate. And when they come across people who have done that legwork, mm-hmm. uh, it's well, we just you know we're not going to deal with that, right? And it and, and there's this three stage, I don't know, mind thing that goes on, which is the first time you hear something, uh, it's just weird and you disregard it. Mm-hmm. And then the second time you hear something, it's, oh, I think I've heard something like that before, but you still disregard it. And when you get to the third one, now you've hit a pattern. And so this works on an individual basis, which, you know, anybody who's doing street epistemology is if they were to talk to the same person over and over again, or if you're on like, you know, this show or, or talk even or something where you might get repeat calls, you can watch someone go through these things where now it's maybe a little less weird and, and they'll start to open up for conversation. Mm-hmm. But my thing that I love is... Uh, there was a, 
I think it was a Pew study poll that came out just a few weeks ago showing that um, if you break down religious denominations, atheists are now at like 21, or non-religious, yes. like 21.3%. And what that means is the entire Western world is largely made up of people who've not only heard this the first time and the second time, but are now going to be here from the third time. They've now met three people who don't believe what they believe. And as, as, as soon as we get to the point where everybody knows and has had some interaction with three or more secular individuals, um, I think that I think it's going to fundamentally change the nature of the conversation. And once we realize, you know, we've known for ages that the non-religious portion of the uh, United States population is vastly larger than the Jewish population here. Mm -hmm. And yet you've got the Anti-Defamation League and you've got pro-Jewish lobby and you have this um, this religious sentiment of a, some kind of shared identity and protection from Jerusalem. Uh, it's going to get to the point where reaching out to the secular community is going to be recognizably more viable than reaching out to the Jewish community when it comes to politics and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Gosh, I you know I saw that same statistic and I was blown away because all the previous ones I've ever read, they seem to be much smaller, like less than ten percent and stuff like that. And I don't the study know. cheated a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So I and I, it's because they divided it up into Catholics and several different types of Protestants, mm, and so okay. that makes atheists. You know, like now they're all at like about twenty percent. Mm -hmm. So it puts us on even footing. But if you just took all the Protestants and put them together and separated them from Catholics, they would be a larger group. And if you put Protestants and Catholics together, you're still talking about 60 to 70% of the population. Mm, yeah. I didn't look into the methodology. I was very curious about that because it's like, wow, that's a bigger number than what I was used to seeing. And like studying atheism as like a social phenomenon is notoriously very difficult because you're working with different definitions and not all the people who uh, may believe the same thing are using the same words to kind of describe their beliefs and stuff. And, yeah, and you know, this wasn't 21% atheist. It was 21% with no, no religion. religion right, right, which is going to give you, you know, slightly different results depending on how you view that. <laughs> I know. I, know uh, I, used to, I used to joke, I don't know what your language restrictions on the show are, so I'm, I'm pacing it. myself. Whatever you but, want. Uh, it was funny to me because it, there was this notion within Christian culture that it is the atheists that are corrupting things, the, mm. the godless people, the people who are not, you know, uh, religious. And I was like, yes, as if we're the only ones who are in, indulging in pornography. Not that there's anything wrong with porn. I love porn. <laughs> um, but it's not only atheists who are doing this. And the proof of that is... Uh, Go watch some pornography and see how many of the young women in there are wearing cross necklaces while they're butt naked and getting boned. It's <laughs> it's ridiculous. And, it, you know, it's like the old joke that Catholics don't recognize uh, Baptists uh, are going to heaven and Baptists don't recognize each other in the liquor store and Methodists don't recognize each other at the strip club. Right. Um, it's funny to me because we know that this is just human behavior. It's not like atheists have cornered the market on on any particular religious sin. Mm -hmm. uh, the religious still outnumber. Yeah, and, and I, I, I think that people are starting to wake up to this now. The study, I didn't like the way they put the graphs together because, first of all, it's non-religious, and I know plenty of people who believe in a god or are maybe culturally Christian, et cetera who, when polled, would say, no, I don't have any religion. Mm -hmm. There's an additional problem with that in that there is a contingent of Christians who don't want to label their religion a religion. Oh, I'm not part of a religion. I have a personal relationship with the risen Christ. Yes. And so if they were asked what their religion is, they would say no religion even though they're actually 
Christian. You know, that's interesting because I always heard that rhetoric growing up, but I never took it to the logical extreme that some people did. Like, they actually don't think they don't have a religion, which is, it's just... <laughs> they're I wrong. I just don't know how you come to that conclusion, honestly, besides, you know, it's a talking point. They, they are wrong under every measure. Yeah. And, and, and even under, like, um, Supreme Court rulings, mm-hmm. as a secular humanist, I would have to say that in a legal sense, I have a religion because yeah. secular humanism was given the exact same protection uh, as a religion and not in the same sense that you have freedom of religion, including freedom not to believe something. Mm-hmm. Secular, his, secular humanism was specifically written in as a protected uh, religion. I don't necessarily know that I agree with that, because, um, but certainly secular humanism has a manifesto and tenets and things like that sure. that atheism on its own doesn't have. Mm-hmm. Actually, next week we're planning on having Bart Campolo come oh, talk great. on and talk about secular humanism. So if you're interested in that conversation, I know I am. Um, I think we should get to the calls. But before we do that, I have a little surprise here for you, Matt. Okay. Uh, I wanted to see if you could guess this magic trick. For those of you who don't know, Matt's a very talented magician. Um, and he's probably seen tricks like this before. But I was wondering if I could... I'm not going to stump you today. I really doubt that. I just want to see if, like, if I could show now you. Now I know offhand, I'm going to be stumped. Offhand, like, if you know how to, it's a very, very simple trick. I've known this one for years, but I'm just going to do this real quick. What I have here are three jacks. Hopefully, everybody here can see those three jacks. And Matt, all I'm going to do is I'm going to put one of these jacks here on top of the deck. Audio listeners on the podcast, you're just going to have to bear with us here. Okay, that's what I'm doing. I'm also going to put one of these here on the bottom of the deck. And Matt, if you just could put this anywhere in the deck that you like. Okay. Okay. There you go. All right. Now, also, Matt, if you could, just split the deck in half for me and put that bottom half on top of the top half for me. Awesome. Now, in order for this to work, you have to give it the magic tap. Always have to give it the magic tap. That's part of the process of the magic. If you could just give it a little... There you go. All right. Now, what I'm going to show you here, Matt, is that although clearly we put those jacks apart, if I look for them in the deck here, you'll see that all three of the jacks are together again. Hopefully everybody on screen... Oh, let me, let me get the camera out. Here it is right here. If everybody can see that, maybe get a zoom in on these cards. Don't know if you can. They're not doing it, but there it is. All three of the jacks together. Well done. What do you think? What, what do I think? Yeah. I know a better version that I'll show you later. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I like it, but All I, right. I had a lot of time with those sitting there facing me. And, that's, and that's so, yes, true. I know how that one's done. <laughs> <laughs> but I can teach you a better version that, that, that you can do. Okay, okay. So you're, you're not going to reveal it right now what I just did. Of course not. Oh, all right. Unless you want me to. I mean, it's up to you. I don't know. Is this like a magician's trade secret thing? You just don't discuss magic tricks in general? No. Or? So there, okay, so, so here's the thing. There's no such thing as this bullshit magician's code of don't reveal your secrets. It's still a good idea for a number of reasons. And when I do my show, uh, the Magic and Skepticism show, I start off by talking about I'm not going to be telling you how I do this. And there are three reasons why I don't. One is because there are some people in the audience who aren't going to want to know how it's done, and I would mm-hmm. be ruining it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is that if I tell you how it's done, now you think you know how it's done. And that's a mistake because there are many different ways to achieve the same effect. And so right. what I've done is, you know, I often use like wrestling terms where I've made somebody half smart. And the problem is, is that now you go out and you see somebody else do the same trick and you think you know how it's done and they will demonstrate to you that they didn't do it the way that I did. And now you're stumped. 
And I actually do this in a broader context when, I, when I'm talking about the faith healing tricks. Mm-hmm. So there's this leg lengthening thing that people will do. You know, yeah. Oh, he was he was born with an in, with an issue, and one of his legs is now an inch and a half to two inches longer than the other. But Jesus is going to heal him today, boy. We're going to sit him down here in the chair. Now, there's several different ways to achieve this same effect. And I'll, I'll tell you what they are, which is why I'm, I don't need a problem revealing this stuff. Mm-hmm. One of them is when you Should I put him, my leg up here on the table? for you to show me? No, no? probably not. There's not enough room. <laughs> uh, one of them is when you set them down and you set their legs out, you just pull the back shoe a little bit off their heel so now it's sticking out an inch or so and then you can push the shoe back on. But what's, there, this is this will be an explanation for why I don't always tell how I do things. Um, that one is actually used as a prover for the another method which is you might get somebody up there and say, you may have seen other people do this with shoes on. Um, we're going to take the shoes off so that I can't do any tricky things with their shoes. And now what they do is they have their legs up on there, and you can clearly see that their legs, uh, one of them is an inch or so long or the other, and then you pull and manipulate, and it's all there. Now, the question is, do they have long pants on? Were they able to slightly bend their leg? Are they in on it or not? And they don't have to be because the easiest way to do this is if you sit down in, in one chair and you put your legs up on the other, to where your feet are the same distance apart. And then you shift your legs, both of them together, slightly to the left or slightly to the right. That angle, if, if the, it, well, let's see. As I go this way, you can see how this, this one or this one uh, looks shorter. And so if you do your legs like that, boom, they're even. And you don't have to move it much to get that sort of thing. And faith healers have been running around doing this thing at, you know, events and f- for ages. It's just a con. Mm. Um, but if, if I were to, if they come up with another way to do it and they show you that it wasn't those three, now you're stuck. And that's one of the reasons why I, I don't tend to reveal. Uh, also some of the stuff that I do in my show, uh, are effects that other magicians are doing as well. And I don't want to ruin their livelihood or their show. Mm, right. Uh, I, I, as much or more than religion and philosophy, I am a magic junkie and have been since I was three, although I didn't really get serious about it till I was around 10. Um, and it's something I've studied my entire life and done for fun and for profit, uh, but never to con people. Mm, right. You know, uh, the first time I encountered the leg trick thing was with Darren Brown. Mm-hmm. Darren Brown has that documentary on YouTube. I can't remember what it's called, but if you want to see what Matt is talking about and like a bit more in-depth explanation, I recommend looking up Darren Brown, kind of the leg trick thing and seeing that in action. It's pretty neat. Uh, oh, I see. He's he's thinking about it. He's thinking about doing something here. Well, no, let's, I'll show you later. Let's go ahead and get some calls on. Are you ready? I'm ready. Cool. Okay, so I want to talk to Adam here in North Carolina. Hey, Adam, what's up? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for w- sure. Whereabouts in North Carolina? Uh, Winston Salem. Oh, okay. Cool. What do you want to talk okay. to us today, Adam? Why do you, why do you ask? Okay. Uh, one of my favorite places in the world is Asheville, and uh, I just saw that. My friend uh, Sean Farquhar, who's the two-time world champion of magic, is in Asheville or was in Asheville, North Carolina. Or maybe it was Michael Kent that was there. One of them. It just popped up on Instagram, and I was like, i just curious. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I don't think – I'll mention this real briefly before we get into the topic, and probably you guys won't mind me. I don't think Matt will mind this. Hopefully you don't, Dan. <clears throat> Does Matt know of Jason Latimer? I don't know him personally, but I'm well aware of his work and his uh, – clear glass cups and balls routine that I think it won him a FISM prize at one point. It's beautiful. 
Yeah, he's amazing, and people should maybe check him out to promote another magician. I, I don't think he needs promoting. He's he's top tier, but I guess I can go into my topic. Um, I have two topics, and maybe you guys can tell me which one interests you the most. Um, one, uh, people who worship Hare Krishna who go around selling books, or mm. two, the state of a, the sad state of apologetics. You know, I have some personal stories of the Hare Krishna selling books and stuff. I don't know if that'd be cool, but apologetics, that's cool too. I don't see any reason why we couldn't do both of them. I think the second one's really easy to address because if, if the question written here, you know, about state of apologetics, you know, the question that comes up is, is there any point in continuing to debate these topics when they're not coming up with anything that's new? There's no new evidence and things like that. If that's what you're getting at, I have a quick and easy answer to that. I'd love to hear it. Of course. Of course it's worth it because not everybody knows as much about this stuff as you or I or the apologist. And it's every time I do a show, whether it's the atheist experience or this or a debate or whatever, it's going to be somebody's first introduction to these things uh, quite frequently. And so also what I mentioned earlier about the first time you hear something is weird, the second time it's not as weird, and the third time, okay, now we've got a pattern. That's what has to happen. Because it's the reason why I'm so encouraging of all these new shows and, and more and more people about speaking out is if you watch a debate between, let's say, me and uh, Mike Winger. I did that debate last night on, on uh, the resurrection. And a Christian watches that, and this is the first time they've seen it. Well, they may not like me. They may not like my personality. They may not like how I responded to things. Or they may have found Mike to be more convincing because they're already in that mindset. And then somebody else debates Mike or somebody else on the same subject. And now all of a sudden, you're in stage two of this kind of awakening in your brain. And it, you're like, oh, I've heard that before. This was said differently. It, we need as many different approaches as we can so that we can instill those feelings of not only atheist and secular normalcy, but to show that it's not just one angry, lone nut who's raging against the apologists. And there's a lot of ground to cover. Yes, we've been having the same debates for a couple thousand years, uh, and they're not coming up with new arguments, or they, at best they'll come up with an obfuscated new version of an old argument. Right. But it's always going to be worth it to point that out. And the, the last little note I'll tag on here is that uh, something that ties into this, which I think is important, is they will say, well, there's people whose minds you will never change. And that may be true. There, are, there may be people, my parents, whoever, whose minds will never be changed. The problem is I don't know how to tell who those people are until I actually talk to them. And maybe not even then, because I might fail, whereas Dan could talk to him an hour later, say almost the same thing, and because it's the second or third time they've heard it, and now they're hearing it from somebody else, and maybe there's a person, maybe they don't like bald people, whatever. <laughs> um, it, there's an effect. So I think there's a, 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 an amazing benefit to continuing to do the debates, and if I didn't, I, w I would stop. Yeah, and I would say, like, that's one of the reasons why Truth Wanted is a show, and we have, like, several different call-in shows here at the ACA is because we have several different approaches and different kinds of conversations come up with different kinds of people, and that's just kind of a wonderful thing. I think— Believe it or not, there are people who hate me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, like, there's always going to be people in the same kind of movement as you that you don't like or, or you don't want to emulate, and, and there's going to be people that you do want to emulate and stuff, and it, it's better to have more people doing more kinds of things than just the same people doing the same kinds of things. 
things. I see this a lot. I see a lot of people who try to emulate Matt. Like, I definitely know people who look up to Matt and they, they want to be just like him. And that, that's awesome. I think that's great. But it's cool when there's other people, when there's other, you know, kinds of people people want to look up to too. And and um, it's just fun talking to people in different ways too. And, and knowing yeah. that there's more than one approach to these kinds of conversations is awesome too. Um, let's talk I, about that hard. I cr- think you guys really... Sure. Well, I just want to comment. Well, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I think you guys really inspired me with that because I guess, you know, I've talked to some of the really extreme apologists out there and I've talked to local apologists and I guess maybe they had hardened my heart. I had just kind of lost my spirit because it was actually a street preacher who changed my mind on religion by yelling at me, are you saved? Mm. And I just kind of thought it over in my head. And I was like, it was like that moment. I know not everyone has that moment, but to me, it was when I started to like reconsider it and be like, is this, what does that even mean? And, you know, I've gone through this journey over the last decade and a half, I'd say, where I've learned a lot more and it's been engaging people and talking to people. And if I were to talk to 19 year old me on a college campus, um, having just kind of contemplated what I really think about religion that I grew up in, um, you know, I didn't know everything I knew. I didn't know the Kalam. I didn't know the theological, the ontological, I didn't know epistemology. I, I didn't know all of these things, you know, and then I started to delve into it. And when I saw it's all smoke and mirrors, you know, maybe that's what you saw, Dan. I know your story a little bit. I was and literally a college kid like, on campus at 19 who talked to a guy. <laughs> let, me, let, me ask you, you know, yeah. let me ask you this, Adam. When, when you talk about, you know, talking to the apologist and getting frustrated, um, are you talking to him one-on-one? Yeah, I've, I've talked to, you know, DD and other, you yeah. know, <laughs> it's by and large now. Head want to explode? Do what? I, I wouldn't say that it's a mistake because it's good practice. But here's the thing: when I'm debating, like last night, I was debating Mike Winger. Neither of us were trying, had any real hopes of changing the other person's mind. I'm not doing it for Mike's benefit. I'm doing it for the audience's benefit. If there's a street preacher out there talking to a crowd and they they're actually willing to get in a conversation where the crowd can hear then that is what I'm talking about from what is a productive use of time. But I've had one-on-one conversations with Matt Slick and Ray Comfort and, uh, and others uh, in a limited sense. And I love those conversations, but they are about not necessarily trying to change that person's mind, but it's training. It is... Um, you know, making sure you're you're actually learning to listen, to to take better notes, to find the the salient point that you want to really stick a pin in. Uh, because let's face it, I mean, Blake Johnson and I have debated like five times. He's been at my house. We sat on a couch and talked for hours. Um, I'm always optimistic, but I'm not I'm not sitting around going, boy, any day now, Blake's going to be an atheist. Uh, that's that's just the wrong mindset sure. for it, and that's where it can get frustrating. Yeah, you know, some of my best conversations were when I was hanging out on the Baylor uh, campus at the Baylor Apologetics Club at at like 2 o'clock in the morning just talking with those guys because, you know, if I talk to atheists, I'm going to hear the same kinds of stuff over and over. But if you're talking to somebody who believes in the stuff that they're trying to argue, the conversations go way, way different. And you'd be surprised at... I don't want to say unprepared you might feel, but how different the conversations would go than you would expect. I think if you see a lot of people who debate online and stuff and, and you study those arguments of like, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to go out and I'm going to go talk to people. And then you have a conversation with somebody like in real life, it may not go like as you expect. They may throw some things in there that you wouldn't expect that happens in a real life conversation. You might find yourself get off track. I mean, the having a conversation and studying the arguments are like 
two different things almost. It's almost two different phenomena. My, my one-on-one conversations are about the fact that I love it, the fact mm-hmm. that I, I don't mind practicing, but also it's to be that that first level seed planted. So I've had conversations on airplanes with this guy who wanted to tell me all about the Shroud of Turin and and, uh, and another woman when we were coming back from Australia who was asking, you know, why are you in Australia? And I explained everything and she's a Christian and we had a long conversation and then when it was over, she wrote me a check for like a hundred bucks and, uh, you know, I don't. I think she was doing it more of a you know through Jesus we can do all things and mm-hmm. let me show you what a kind person I am. Uh, but I still appreciated it and the conversation was still good. Yeah, for sure. I should tell more people my story. Sorry. It's worth it. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. <laughs> well, Adam, I, I, we got a lot of callers on, and uh, I, I hopefully that was enough to talk about this one thing. Maybe if you could leave sure. us what you Thank wanted you to much. talk about with the hard Christians, so we can kind of talk about it a bit uh, as we let you go. Yeah. Can I, you want me to explain Just really, really real quick? Yeah, because I'm, I'm a bit interested. That's not okay. something that comes up a lot. So there's these individuals who walk around, they hand, the way I think they shouldn't be doing it, which I've seen them do many times, mm-hmm. is they hand you a book and they say they'd like to tell you about their religion. And after they talk to you for about five minutes, they then ask for a donation. But I actually found their training manuals online and I watched their training videos, like an hour long training video on how to do a book ministry, I think it's called or something. Mm-hmm. And it literally says you should get double the price you paid for the book and Krishna will deliver to you and provide to you. And uh, it says book ministry is the safest economic security you can have. And it says like sell 300 times. So when they ask you for a donation, um, they're not actually actually asking for a donation. They really want you to pay them for the book. Mm-hmm. And they get the books for about $3. So if they get $5 from you, they're getting almost double, which is their goal. And I really find it to be really sleazy. I don't know if that's a bad word. Really bad tactics. And I, really, I, I usually walk up to them. They hand me the book. I talk to them. Then I say, are you giving me this book? They say, I'd like a donation. I say, well, I don't have any money. They ask for it back. And I say, well, you gave it to me. And I walk away and they actually get very angry. But I, I know their game. I don't know if that's mm, mean of me. That's interesting but, because um, I the, don't like their game. The Hari Krishnas I talked to actually, they let me have the books that um, I was interested in taking. They even though they asked for a gift, I think I ended up giving it to them later because I saw them on campus. But uh, yeah, that's interesting because I didn't experience that with the Hari Krishnas I talked to. Um, One guy ripped the book out of my hand, literally. Oh I, man! I, I would recommend not doing that because you may, in fact, be guilty of a crime. Uh, because ah. handing you a book is not the same as giving you a book. And if there's a clear thing there where he says he'd like a donation and you say you don't have one, uh, just walking away with the book may in fact be theft. Plus, I, I don't think it's the right thing to do. Now, I, my objection... Can I real briefly, Matt? What would, what would you do and what do you think is the right thing? And I'll let you guys go with that. I'd give him the book back. I'm, I'm more concerned about the fact that these people, based on the description from the website are being sold something that's like a marketing scheme. Like, here's the best way for yeah. you to make income is to buy our books at $3 and then try to get $6 out of them. It, it You know, it's... I, I don't know that they're being given good financial advice on how mm. to best make a living. Right. Uh, and it seems to me that it's a racket for the people who are producing the books more than anything. Yep. And I would make, I would explain that. I'm like, you know, I've seen your website where it says, hey, one of the best ways you can make a living is this book sales thing. And all you have to do is pay $3 for a book. And then if you get donations, blah, blah. If you explain to them that you've already seen this and you're familiar with it and how this is probably a racket and how it is not actually doing anything to promote the religion, if the religion's actually important to them, 
they're being counterproductive. And if the religion's not important to them, why the hell would you want their book? Hmm. Mm, well, I appreciate the advice on this, Matt, and I, I take that to heart, and I think I'll be following that. And thank you guys for your time tonight. Absolutely, yeah, thanks, Adam. Adam. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, I want to tell this story because this is real wild. So those of you who know me, I had a conversation with Anthony Magnabosco a few years ago. It's part of the reason why I'm here. It's not the only reason, but it's part of the reason. Um, a few weeks after I had that conversation with Anthony, which is still on YouTube and, and everything, um, I actually met with some Hari Christians that were on campus. Um, and this was at a time where I was still kind of reflecting off of that conversation and thinking about a lot of things. And, you know, you kind of go through a phase. Maybe you experienced this, Matt. I don't know if you did, but like where you're kind of open to anything and you're kind of open to other religions and stuff. And so when these Hare Krishna guys were talking to me, I was like, yeah, sure. I'll go to your meditation session and yeah. check out your books. And I did. And I meditated with these dudes and it was so strange because they had these instruments and you, you kind of got put into a trance and you were in this room with these other people and you're kind of feeling one with the universe a little bit. But I also, at the same time, I believe I was looking at some of Sam Harris's stuff on like um, uh, of kind of cognitive kind of distortions that we can have when we're in like trance states and stuff and how our brain can kind of trick us into you know, kind of feeling things that aren't really happening in like the physical world. And that was a moment for me where I realized, wow, I'm having a quote unquote spiritual moment, mm -hmm. but I'm not like spiritual at all. Like, I don't think that any of this is like real. I think this is all just in my head. And that was a real revelation for me to have. And just like a real visceral thing for me to experience to kind of break that down. Did you ever have like moments where you were kind of searching and stuff like that? Well, I've had plenty of moments searching. I've never had anything that I could describe as a spiritual experience. Mm. I pretty much hate the word because it gets used in so many different ways. Sure. I'm not convinced I know what it means. It seems to be like a, a catch-all. But I've certainly had, you know, when I was a believer, of course, uh, I was convinced that I was experiencing the Holy Spirit, this sense of euphoria and tingling and elation. And, it, and the only reason I called it the Holy Spirit is because that's what everybody else around me was calling it. Mm -hmm. It's not like I had any evidence that this was the connection. Sure. And when I, when I experienced similar things from uh, sex, from drugs, from music, from, you know, looking at great art and things like that, uh, I started to realize this is a function of the brain and everything that we're talking about is, right. you know, your feelings, et cetera, a function of the brain. I just couldn't justify putting a spiritual label on it. Mm -hmm. And once I realized that, um, I, I I never had any, you know, like you're sitting around meditating, you feel a sense of one. I don't have any feeling like that. Now, yeah. maybe I haven't done enough meditation or haven't done it right or whatever else. Mm -hmm. Um it's just not my thing. I think it was part of being like part of a group thing, yeah. you know, and you kind of get into those states. And that was another thing too, comparing my experiences with what I called the Holy Spirit, right. at least what I attributed. I was like, wow, this is way different. Like if anything, and again, <laughs> I agree with you with that spiritual is kind of a not a great word to use, but that's like the best generic thing I could describe it as. I'm feeling more spiritual in this moment than I did when I said I was feeling something with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, obviously there were some physical factors at play there and that if I wasn't in that physical situation, I wouldn't have been experiencing that. You know, it's not like I could just be walking down the street and doing the same thing. But yeah, really interesting. But we got a full deck of calls here. Yeah, let's do it. And man, we got we to gotta go down the line. Um, let's go over to, let's see. I want to talk to Tom in New Jersey. Tom, how's it going? Hey there, guys. How are you? Doing awesome. I have a thing here saying that you called a few weeks ago and you wanted to know what the best <laughs> arguments for Christianity was, but you're not a Christian. No, that's the thing, actually. Uh, if you remember me, I, I called two weeks ago when, when Jimmy, Mr. Atheist, was on. Yes. I gave him like, the quick thing to you mentioning everything. Yes, um, I do. 
It's like just like every, like half of the other callers are there. Um, and basically, I was calling back because I promised I'd call back in a week or two. Couldn't mm-hmm. call last week, unfortunately, but I'm here now. Uh, and I want to, I guess, again, thank. It's a second thank you, basically, because Matt, I just want to mention. Like I said two weeks ago, if, if you had seen it, uh, I thank Mr. You know, Mr. Atheist because he actually helped me a lot with calling myself an atheist. Right. I, I was going by the term agnostic for about, about a year and a half until recently because pretty much all the atheist people I had watched all were like far right, very anti-LGBT and everything. And he was one of the few people who was very much pro-LGBT and also a member. Who So for another person who you know is also a member of the LGBT and non-religious and everything, I think he was really the final push I needed to make to call myself an atheist. On the other hand, Matt, you were actually pretty much the first influence, and I only remembered this um, seeing the atheist experience about maybe maybe three weeks ago, like a week before I called, because uh, I realized, I, I noticed your face, and it was so weird because the first time I'd ever seen you, I didn't watch as of like a caller or anything. Mm-hmm. This was maybe, oh shoot, like 20... 2010, 2011, back when I was like barely, not like not even a teenager, and I was like a super religious kid. I was basically planning on becoming a Catholic priest and everything. So like you were with a minister, and I had actually planned on doing that up until about 15 or 16 when I started having like serious doubts about religion and everything. Sure. And I remember the first sort of real doubt in in being a Christian that I'd ever seen. I saw some guy trying to tear your arguments apart, basically. And, and the creepy thing was, it was like a half hour long. Guy didn't even talk. It was just one of those text-to-speech things, which was very eerie. But the big thing was, like, at the moments, whenever he was talking about you saying stuff with the burden of proof, he, he basically, it kind of hit me that you were the only one making sense in the argument. Ah. And, <laughs> and it was it was... You know, at first I felt this profound disappointment that this other religious person was was fucking up the arguments, and I thought I could do better. Yes. And basically, I tried to do better, uh, and then about seven eight years later, I realized no, I, I really couldn't. Well, thanks for that story. Yeah, thanks for that story. You are not remotely alone. Uh, yeah. A lot of people think that. On the atheist experience, we will get email on occasion. Was like, why do you only let the stupid Christians call? Why don't you take on some real? And I'm like, I, I run around and debate anybody you can throw at me. You know, some of the the biggest names in Christian apologetics, um, and they're welcome to call. But I'm every time we get that email, I, I reply with, you you do know that you're welcome to call, right? And that you could have your pastor call or contact your favorite apologist to call. Uh, we, we prioritize theist callers on the show. We are not handpicking the ones that are most ridiculous. Sure, it's yeah. whoever's there. Yeah, and and contrary to popular belief, it the people who think that they are prank calls are generally not prank calls. Too. There, there are there have been a few, there, there have obviously, a few. over the years, but it's but, not uh, as many as people I've, think I've, there are. Yeah, yeah. I've known I've known too many real life posts to be able to say any stupid argument is just somebody faking it. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's a lesson. That's a lesson I learned early on because there were sometimes somebody would call in and it would just sound ridiculous and sound like a, you know a fake call, and but it would be rude of me and in, inappropriate and unskeptical for me to just accuse them of being a phony yes. unless I have really good evidence for it, which has happened a couple times, and as long as the conversation that we have, I think is. Is similar or identical to a conversation with somebody who genuinely had that belief, then I don't care if they're a prank caller that much. 
because it's about having this conversation. And so I really I don't want people calling in to pretend to believe things, but on the off chance that somebody did, and I wasn't able to to prove that that was the case, it would still be a good conversation. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Tom, can we go back to the other topic that you wanted to call in about about the best argument for Christianity? Did you yeah. want to expand on that a little bit? I, I did because it's it's kind of a thing. I, I had mentioned again. I'm going back to two weeks. So I just want to mention that I, I had said that I had come out to a couple different friends, and you know, also sort of finally was comfortable with myself uh, identifying as atheist and also pansexual. Pansexual part not not so important right now, um, but atheist specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of, and I'm I'm still kind of nervous about this. I'm trying to get to the point where I can comfortably come out to my parents as an yeah. atheist. Mm, yeah, because they're super religious. I really don't want to do anything related to the pansexual part until after I'm out of the house and everything. But I kind of, I, I, I feel like they would be at least a little bit open to talking about religion and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of the thing I wanted to do was uh, get advice from some other different people about different arguments people use, and I kind of feel like I wanted to ask you guys. Uh, what the strongest argument you heard for Christianity, or, or I guess religion in general, if you want to do something like theism or any argument really for God? Um, yeah, I mean that's were, a good distinction to make. Is so many, yeah, if we're talking about sorry. Christianity, because Christianity is a huge umbrella of a bunch of different things, and if we're talking about like a theistic versus deistic version of that, you know, I mean, you kind of can't sum it up in one thing. You know, it helps to be as specific as possible. Do you, do they come from a certain denomination or anything? Yeah, they are are pretty hardcore Roman Catholic. Okay, okay. Which that specifically might be a little bit difficult. You know, I've been been asked this question many times, and and essentially it's like, hey, how would you steal man Christianity and could you? And of, of course I could, I won't. Um, and and from the position that I'm in now, it's the I you know obviously I could probably rank arguments and show which ones I think are better or worse because some of them are clearly worse. Uh, but I get stuck on that. None of them rise to the level of actually being reasonable. So a different version of this question that I'm far more interested in is talk to believers who have just found their way out or former believers who found their way out. And ask them, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? What was the thing that kept you going? Was it a fear of hell? Because if it's a fear of hell, that doesn't mean the argument itself is good or reasonable, but it's very compelling. Uh, this fear of what, what if I'm wrong and I'd spend forever in hell? I think that's one of the things that, that most, that keep most people believing, irrespective of how strong an argument it is. Mm-hmm. And Tom, let me, put this out there too you know like it sounds to me like you're preparing to have an argument with them you know like let's say they give you an argument and you don't exactly know the answer to why not just say like i don't know i'll have to look into it go back to it later you know there's no pressure in trying to memorize everything now so you can be ready for anything and honestly i think if you come in with that kind of mindset you're you're you might come off as more hostile, especially if you're super red on it and you're like, ah, I know this specific argument. This is flawed because of X, Y, and Z, you know, and at that point, they might not want to have a conversation with you at all, you know, because if, if it doesn't feel like the conversation's friendly, you know, I'd say like, start real small with this, man. This is a big deal. Although, I, although with Catholics, I tend to ask them, why are they still supporting a criminal organization, mm-hmm. irrespective of whether or not the underlying theology is true? Yeah, there's that part of it, too. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, I yeah, dude, that 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 part specifically is a little annoying because I ended up actually 
and I don't want to don't make this sound too serious. I was actually an altar boy for one of those priests that eventually got arrested, which was a little mm. strange. So I think that that topic specifically, uh, I feel like if we went about it the right way, that might be a good conversation to have. But I'm also worried that that might be maybe a little bit more touchy uh, for my family specifically than than maybe some other families who didn't have that you know personally happen in their lives. Yeah. I mean, I'd say, you know, like prepare for an ongoing conversation, prepare for you to talk about this, you know, at various times in your life. Um, there might have some initial questions at first. And, you know, maybe after having that conversation with you, they'll look into some arguments. They'll be like, oh, he wants to go the more logical route. Well, I'll try to find some logical uh, questions to ask him and see if I can stump him. And maybe in that process, who knows, maybe they'll have their own doubts. Maybe they'll have their own experiences with that. Um, I know it's really, really scary, and I don't know personally what your family situation is like, um, but when the Band-Aid comes off, you know, the Band-Aid's going to be off. And, and, like, you got to live openly and honestly with yourself and and be who you want to be with your family especially. Um, I think if you're intimidated by this conversation, if something about this relationship means that you're intimidated by what their response might be, I think that's something you have to analyze on its own outside of the context of the topic of religion, if that makes sense. See what your relationship with your parents is like and why maybe that that feeling might be. G- given the birthday card that I got recently, mm-hmm. this may not be the best advice, but on the on the occasions where I've had the conversation with close family members, my my primary goal is to see if I can communicate why I don't agree with them in a way that they can at least understand. Uh, it's not about me trying to fix them. It's not about me trying to show that they're wrong. Uh, although if the conversation goes down that route, I'm happy to point out fallacies. I'm happy to point out things that, that are actually wrong. But my goal is to get them to go from uh, a lack of understanding and potential fear or animosity to, oh, now I understand why he doesn't agree with me. And now it kind of gives them something to work towards. Like, once upon a time, I asked my, my folks, I was like, okay, you believe that God exists, God has a plan, and God answers prayer. And you know that no amount of testifying to me is going to change my mind. So the best thing you can do is for you to pray to God that he will reveal himself to me and that that's part of his plan. That takes the responsibility off of their shoulders, puts it back on God where it belongs. Mm. Yeah, good stuff. Does that answer some of your questions here, Tom? Um. I would say it didn't answer the question that I had sought for, but I think it answered the question that I needed. Ooh, yeah. I like so, that answer. That's awesome. Well, cool, Tom. Thanks we're, for calling in. A lot better. We are so much better than we thought we could be. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll talk to you later, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Man, yeah, the coming out experience is just its just rough. It's rough all around. Uh, if it comes easy to you, be thankful because... I know for some of us, it's just not, it's just not a fun time. And there's only so much you can prepare to do for those things. It seems like, you know, and, and, and you know, it's going to change. It's, you know, in my case, it took more than a decade of occasionally talking and not talking about these subjects and trying to have things normal for it to reach a, a point where I was just like, nope, I'm 50. Fuck it. I'm putting my foot down. You're not sending me this stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to have conversations with you in person or on the phone, but getting a, a a letter about everything that's wrong with me and right with Jesus, that's a one-way communication. Um, I, I'm no longer interested in that. Yeah, but. for sure, for sure. Let's go to uh, Jess, or maybe it's Jesse, here in uh, New Jersey. Jess, or Jesse, can you hear us? 
Yes, I can. Hey, how's it going? Okay, uh, are you able to hear me? I was having problems with uh, the... Crystal clear, man, crystal clear. Okay, very cool, very cool. Um, I've had a uh, brain injury 35 years ago in 1984. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's a very mild one. Uh, a lot of people that, um, that I talk to just assume that since you can hold a um, coherent conversation and just do things okay, that you're fine, mm -hmm. which is uh, clearly not the case because I have a lot of problems um, uh, prioritizing and uh, multitasking, even multitasking of doing like two or three things at a time. They get me very overwhelmed, and um, I was uh, a very—I was a diehard Christian like 20 years ago, um, and then all of a sudden, common sense hit me, and <laughs> it really didn't take long at all for me to get out. I didn't have any problems at all. It was sort of like um, when I when I hear you, Matt, talk about um, how it just. He really didn't have that much trouble at all getting out of it. That's sort of how I was, because they would always say to me that um, either you believe it or you don't. And I'm always like, well, I guess I don't then, because I mean, come on, talking snakes, it's kind of like, you don't really believe that. I mean, I can see the other stuff, but there's stuff in there that's just like, you don't really, you're not serious with about that, right? Um. I don't, I don't know. But um, anyway, back to the religion. I know that there's this one girl in a support group um, who claims that um, when she died, she um, went up and saw Jesus. And she then, she uh, didn't die. I, yeah, I, I kind of, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, but that's always the first thing I correct when people talk about near death experiences. Okay, near death is not death. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I mean, she claims that she saw her grandfather and stuff, and he said that it wasn't her time, and then um, all this other bullshit. And I'm like, I don't know. The next time I see her there at that group, I don't know whether to call her out on it or what, because it's like, mm. I don't know. What? I'm just like, is it relevant to the group? I mean, I, I, if, if somebody's told me something and I'm at a group event with them, it would never occur to me to call me out on what they told me in that group environment unless it was somehow relevant to the group. Well, in a lot of ways, it is. The, I, I don't know. I mean, the rest of the group is like, they're just like, oh my God, really? And it's just, what would you hope to get? What would you hope to achieve by calling her out on it? Hmm. Good question. I don't know. Maybe I'll just leave the room because it's like I've heard. I've. I just. It just bugs me. Hey, I understand. I don't know, but it, it, at the end of the day, you have a woman who had an experience, and she has some explanation for it and, and beliefs about it. Uh, there's no way to prove her wrong. So, so you're unlikely to change your mind because this is a direct experience she had. Now, you might be able to talk to her and, and explain other things about near-death experiences and how a brain starved of oxygen and in a state dying um, is not really the best barometer of, 
accurate information and how in near-death situations, uh, what we think is most likely happening is once you are uh, resuscitated and conscious again, your brain then has to make up some story about what happened in the missing time. And so it goes to whatever makes the most sense. And so if there's religious imagery that that perhaps works, you can explain all this to her and you may never change your mind. And that's why I was asking what do you hope to get out of it? Because if the goal is just to make her look silly in front of other people in the group, I think that's a bad idea. If there are other people in the group who are starting to buy into her story because they find it compelling, having conversations with other people about other explanations for near-death experiences might be more beneficial. But unless there's some real good reason to call her out, I, I don't know that I would or could. Okay, yeah, that's very good advice. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is you, you had mentioned that people don't always believe that you, you had a, a, a brain injury. Right. So what? Yeah. Ignore them. And unless they're medical experts, and, and medical experts aren't going to give you their opinions about your, your, your injury or anything else. Uh, you, you know what your life's like. But in, in a way, you are very similar that to her. Because you've had an experience that you can't prove to anybody else, that they can't disprove. Uh, and so maybe the conversation about it isn't worth it. And maybe the people that are frustrating you by saying they don't believe you have a brain injury, maybe that would be essentially the same as you frustrating her by pointing out that you don't believe that she's been to heaven. Mm. Well, it's pretty much I've gotten to the point after 35 years that I really, it's, it doesn't come up that much. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is that it's just it's it's just an underlying frustration. Mm. It really is what I'm saying. It's just sort of an underlying frustration, and because um, the name of the show is Truth Wanted, it's, yeah. I figured yep. I'd bring. Well, here's what so, I would you know, suggest. It's, it's, you know, if you really want to have these conversations, I would suggest, hey, maybe try some street epistemology stuff. You know, um, and as far as the specific, well, I've got. Yeah, I go to support groups. Mm -hmm. You know, I I got a couple of support groups, and so that's pretty much where it comes out. And mm -hmm. you know, I I go to a therapist about it. So it's not really, it's not really on my mind all that much. But I mean, again, the name of the show is Truth One, and so I figured I'd bring it up. Yeah, and, but the, the, one of the key things in street epistemology, and not to stomp all over Dan, but you, you need to ask her if she wants to have the conversation. Yes. Because Absolutely. if she doesn't want to have the conversation, then no matter what your intentions are or what you think you're getting out of it, you're just being a dick by forcing somebody into a conversation they want to have. Uh, okay. Sure. And, you know, I would frame it like this. Like, I, I wouldn't do this in the group. I would have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And I would say, like, hey, can you tell me more about this experience? Because, like, I just, you know, I kind of have maybe some doubts of myself about these kinds of things in general. And, like, I was hoping maybe you could, you know, tell me a little bit more and just, like, make it something because, like, you're actually interested in the person and you want to hear about them and, and not necessarily because, oh, I think you're wrong and let me, like, tell you a way that you're wrong in a way that doesn't make me look like, you know, a bad person or something. Like, do it because you're genuinely interested in these kinds of topics and stuff and, and maybe share your experiences with her too and be like, oh, hey, you know, I had something similar and, and I, I never felt this, so that's kind of interesting. And maybe compare and contrast. You know, I mean, there, there are a couple of different ways you can start this conversation. Um, it, but I think Matt's right. It just kind of depends on your intentions, what you really want to get out of it. Good point. Very good point. Wow. Thanks a lot for the call, I Jesse. I, I hope it works out. And... Uh, I don't know when I'll be back on Truth Wanted, but I'm sure Dan will fill me in if you come back with That's feedback. That's right. Yeah, send me an email. Let me know how that goes. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you both, really. I'm cool. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much.
Thank you. For sure. We'll okay. see you next time. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a ethical discussion that we don't always have where it's like, when do we need to talk to people about this stuff and when are we just being dicks about it? <laughs> yeah, it, it reminds me of the people who are like, who want to claim that what I do on the atheist experiences is just exactly like the, you know, the, the evangelists are going door to door knocking and I'm like, no, it's the exact opposite. People mm -hmm. call me which is them not only consenting and affirming that they want to have this conversation. I don't make outgoing calls on the show, and I've never gone door-to-door -door saying, you know, have you stopped believing in Jesus yet? I can yeah. help. Yeah, and for sure. And whether or not you agree with how street epistemology, at least the people who go out on the streets having conversations, I will say this. You know, there's always consent involved. Always yep. get that on camera. And the people who walk away from those conversations, most of the time you see them smiling. Like, you see them that they had, like, a genuinely good time. I, I It's very rarely that I see where people walk away from this and be like, like, oh, this was a waste of my time, or like, I didn't enjoy this at all. I think most people who have these conversations really like it. So, yeah, I'd say look into it. You know, there's definitely more than one way to approach those kinds of things. Which, by the way, Magna Bosco and I have had a number of conversations both on mm -hmm. the atheist experience and outside in the atheist debate stuff. Um, and so my concerns about street epistemology are well on record, and the fact that I'm very supportive of it as one of many approaches to things. But when I'm done with a conversation with someone who has a a dramatically different view from what I have on, especially the supernatural type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, this is going to sound bad. If they walk away smiling and are happy that they had a conversation, I'm a little irked. Mm. Um, not much. I, I don't want to make people miserable. But my goal is to make people think mm -hmm. and to make them uncomfortable if they're with their position if, in fact, discomfort with the position is mm -hmm. warranted. One of us... If we disagree and we actually care about truth, one of us should leave the conversation going, huh, that really you know, gave me a lot to think about rather than, oh, I enjoyed a conversation. I, I, it, it's not a knock I, on any. It's I just see more what about saying. what I'm wanting. I think when, when I say when uh, people walk away smiling is usually before that, there's a look of consternation on their face that yeah. goes on for 10 minutes. And then they say, oh, that's all. You weren't trying to sell me anything. Yes. You weren't trying to do anything like that. And that's when the smile comes like, oh, this was cool. This was different from my... That is the perfect blend for me. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's where most of it comes from. I, I, I think I genuinely do think people walk away... I mean, I had that experience myself, so I can attest for me. I can't say for everybody else, but I think there is a value to having those conversations, whether or not you're doing it on the street or, or you're just having it with friends or something. I, I don't think we should shy away from having them, but there is a proper context, yeah. you know, and you got to keep that in mind. You can't just go willy-nilly. You know, it, it's, I always tell people, you know, don't talk about the afterlife at your grandmother's funeral. <laughs> you know, just stuff like that. It's like just... So that's just going to let it be. But uh, Although there are occasions where I can imagine myself at a funeral um, where I would say things. When Pat Tillman's mm. brother spoke at his funeral service and basically gave that, you know, uh, that rabid speech about, no, 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 my brother was an atheist. Uh, yeah. Don't you dare come here and suggest that he's off in a better place. He's fucking dead. Yeah, yeah. And, and I get that. And a lot of, I've been a lot of uh, funeral services where it is far more about the religion than the person who's in the box. Mm. And if it's not somebody that I'm close with and I'm just attending, then it just annoys the crap out of me. Mm -hmm. But if it's somebody that I care about and they decide, now, like if one of my parents die, if the whole funeral is about Jesus, I know that's what they probably wanted anyway. And so I'm not going to object on that front. Right. But if 
if one of my atheist friends uh, were to die and their family tried to turn it into a religious service and uh, I was welcome to attend, um, they better not ask me to speak. They better not ask me to eulogize my friend because I I don't think I would hold back a bit. Mm. I think that's a good caveat that maybe there are situations at the funeral where you have to have those things. Yeah. Uh, when when there's a something that's really bothersome about you know those kinds of situations, specifically speaking on the dead and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah let's sort this out right now for me. I don't care what the hell you do with my body. You can cut it up into pieces. You can donate any part that somebody else might find useful to somebody else. You can burn the rest. Uh, I don't care if you have any kind of service at all. Uh, I'm going to be dead. So even if you wanted to have an incredibly religious service, you certainly aren't going to bother me. But don't you dare try to spin my life as if there was some kind of deathbed conversion mm. or how Matt was so... Li- if you turn it into a religious thing, I want my atheist friends to go, hell no, that ain't right. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you heard it here first, Matt. Uh, Matt said we could cut his body up. That's so right. I think, audience, we're going to do that right after the show. Um, well, I'm pretty sure I said after I'm dead. I don't think... We'll have to play the clip back. I'm not sure. sure. (laughs) Well, that doesn't prohibit you from, like, shooting me and then saying, oh, he's dead now. Let's cut him (laughs) up. That's true. Oh, man. Let's go to some more calls. Um, Let's go to Stan in Philadelphia. Uh, Stan was asking about political actions that could be done to advance the cause of atheism. What's up, Stan? Hey, hey. Uh, Nice to talk to you again. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I uh, called in uh, earlier um, or uh, a few weeks ago. Um, uh, first of all, uh, I'm so glad I get to uh, speak with you, uh, Matt. Um, Thank you. You're a big inspiration. Uh, um, I, uh, I mean, I was already atheist when I uh, first discovered you, but, um, you, uh, really reshaped the way I, uh, I considered my arguments and uh, how I thought about like, you know, like my, my views about, uh, the, the the atheist project. So um, uh, thank you for all your great work. Well, thank you for saying so. I appreciate it. And Dan, you're a great up and coming artist. So I'll take that, it. That is the truth. I'll take it. And there's so, uh, there's a lot of them. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm more excited about the movement now, even after doing it for 14 years, seeing what's coming up. ACA is producing more shows, but I'm also, you know, like in a couple of weeks, we'll have the Faithless Forum in Dallas, and then Cosmic Skeptic's going to come down, do the Atheist Experience. Shannon Q-Tube's going to be here for stuff. Uh, I, 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 don't, I can't recall ever being more excited about the stuff in the atheist community than I am today. Great stuff. I'm yeah. excited too, obviously. But yeah. Uh, tell us more what you wanted to talk about, Stan. I, I think what you were just saying actually dovetails into uh, what I want to bring up and that um, currently uh, we're living in a time uh, where the um, the uh, political Overton window is shifting, right, to yes. the left. Um, I think uh, we've got a number of exciting politicians, uh, AOC, uh, Ilhan Omar, and uh, many others uh, who, are, uh, who are doing a lot of work um, uh, fighting against... Um, uh, the the toxic uh, issue that we we've been dealing with for for many years now, um, and I feel like now is the time to strike. You know, um, uh, while I recognize that um, these politicians, uh, as progressive politicians, are religious themselves, I think one they'll be open to uh, uh, a, a sec- more secular view um, of the world. So uh, these are the people that we can push, right? 
Um, and I feel like uh, uh, now should be the time that we're organizing um, and actually coming up with specific, with demand, uh, specific demands. Mm. I know there are um, uh, organizations like the uh, FRFF, uh, mm-hmm. my Freedom from Religion Foundation, yeah, um, that are doing uh, fantastic work. Uh, but I feel like, I mean, that's really more responding to uh, what's hap- already happened. So I feel like we need a proactive approach. And I'm wondering if you've ever uh, thought of that, uh, Matt or Dan, um, as to um, uh, suggestions for that. So first of all, Freedom from Religion Foundation uh, primarily does uh, church day separation lawsuits and protecting that. That is, I think, one of the most yeah. important things for uh, so atheism doesn't have so much a, a, a cause or an agenda. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a position, but there's certainly things that are consistent with that when we're talking about secular values. And uh, there are a number of different organizations. American Atheists is for atheist normalcy and also lawsuits on church-state separation stuff, FFRF and others. Uh, I think the, the most important thing is to get people to accept and enforce the law appropriately with regard to church-state separation rather than continuing to deal with violations. Uh, The other thing is that there's an organization that you may not be aware of that's called the Secular Coalition for America, which is specifically a lobbying organization. It's not a part of American Atheists or uh, CFI or FFRF, but it is an umbrella organization that has all of those as kind of contributaries to it, and it lobbies on behalf of the entire secular community, uh, the humanists, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So there's already some lobbying going on. The study we talked about earlier today is going to give them some ammunition. But for me, the biggest thing is to get more and more out atheists, openly atheist people, so that everybody knows an atheist, everybody knows at least one atheist they like, you know, the neighbor who keeps their yard nice or who brought them cookies or whatever whatever the thing is. Um, because as soon as there's uh, the public perception is that there's atheist normalcy, it makes it easier to make sure that we're doing church-state separation issues correctly or separation of religion and government. Uh, Amanda would smack me around for getting that wrong again. Um, My family knows me, but I don't think they, will like, they like me. So, uh, <laughs> Right. Working on that. And, you know, let me add on to what Matt is saying here. I think this is true. I think we have so, like, I I interpret your question, Stan, as are we going to organize an atheist voting block? And half the people who would be atheist voters aren't even out as atheists yet. And uh, the other thing, too, is, you know, that statistic of was 21% of no religion. Something like that. That's not atheist. Like, we talked about this a little bit before, but, like, that that encompasses actually of, of broad strokes of, of different people with, with different ideas and stuff. And, uh, and, just, and even if it were all atheists, yeah. not all atheists are in the, of the same political Yes, leanings. exactly. It, it's an old joke, but, you know, the atheist community trying to get them together is like herding cats, you know, and, and that's true for a lot of reasons. Um, I mean, my personal efforts right now is, I mean, yes, I I, I'm not I'm not shy to talking about what I think about things politically, but I, I think my number one concern is making people feel comfortable and safe being out as atheists. Like Matt is saying, I think that should be a priority or at least something we should prioritize uh, because we can't be a voice if we're afraid to use our voice, you know, and um, just, you know, being public and, and being out here and saying, hey, we're atheists and it's okay. I think that's a good first step and. I think it's something I wish more people would focus on. I, I don't see us ever being a unified voting block in yeah. a way that like evangelical fundamentalists largely are. Mm. Uh, I don't. I don't think that this is ever likely. I I, uh, I, uh, I think your your points well taken. I feel like maybe I didn't make myself clear in that. Like I, I do understand that. Yeah, we aren't unified, and uh, we don't have a a uh, 
a doctrine to follow and to rally behind. Um, but uh, at, at least pushing the point of of the secularism, you know. Yes. Um, and instead of being reactive again um, with uh, whatever is doing great great work, um, uh, but uh, it, that's more re- reactive uh, because you know look at their lawsuits. Yeah, um, I never I'd rather. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Hmm? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm just I'm, I'm just thinking more proactive. Uh, trying to think of a more proactive approach. Um, you know, for instance, like uh, you know, I think it was either today or maybe yesterday that uh, Ohio passed yeah, a new uh, abortion law, um, mm-hmm. uh, law, um, yeah, and uh, that'll make abortion nearly impossible there. And you know, things like that. Um, I feel like maybe uh, somehow actively pushing statutes um, to limit uh, 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 the ability to uh, curtail uh, rights like that, you know, on religious yeah. grounds. Here's, a, here's an important thing to, to kind of keep in mind. For many years, mm-hmm. the secular community could have worked towards certain specific political goals. But our participation in those things may have been counterproductive. My, when I, when, you know, I'm not going to endorse any politicians or, or parties or, or even really positions, but when I vote, I'm voting based on actual positions. And it doesn't matter to me whether the person I'm voting for is an atheist or a Christian or a Hindu or a Muslim. It's about what their stated positions are because I recognize that people can, can identify with a particular religious label and yet still have a variety of views in the same way that a bunch of atheists could have yeah. different views. And, and so mm-hmm. if it's the case that open atheist participation towards a goal was counterproductive at one point, I think the thing to, to be uh, uplifted by is that the studies are now showing that we're no longer going to be a hindrance or as much of a hindrance to certain goals. And if, let's say, I'm concerned about, uh, you know, reproductive rights issues like that, um, at the end of the day, it's not just atheists that I would go to. As a matter of fact, I debated abortion against an atheist woman who is anti-choice. So it's for me, it's difficult to separate religion and politics because we make laws about what we can and can't do. And these are these are things that are important to all of us. But I still do my best to separate them because I've had friends of mine, Arn Ra ran for office uh, in the state of Texas. And I wasn't in his district, so I couldn't vote for him. But and I and I might have, um, depending entirely on what his opponent's qualifications and positions were. If I felt that his opponent was better qualified and had just as good positions, despite the fact that Arn and I are friends, I may have voted, you know, for the other guy. Uh, can't say for sure. Yeah. But the fact that somebody's an atheist doesn't mean I'm going to vote for him. For sure. I think like I'm trying to think of issues we would all like really, really unite on. And I think most atheists would agree that a secular government is something that we all really want. You know, like if I had to pick... Except for SE Cup. Yeah, well, if I had to pick like one issue, like I, I feel like that's the one. But it, it from there on, it gets more and more nuanced. Yes, and it, it does. It gets harder and harder, you know. Um, and thankfully there are, you know, religious organizations that also want secular governments and stuff as well. And, and what you're talking about, this abortion bill, I mean, the arguments they're using are religious arguments as to why they want to, you know, um, make that, those kind of laws. And, and so that would kind of qualify under that label. Um, but yeah. For years, the Reverend Barry Lynn was in charge of the Americans United for Church State Separation. He and I spoke 
Uh, one, I, he spoke right before I did at a Secular Student Alliance convention, and the first thing I did was to get up and, and start off my talk by letting him know that while I wanted to end religion uh, or, or hasten its end in my lifetime, that his soul was safe from my tinkering because I want him to remain a Christian because we work together on the same issues and it's nice to be able to say, here's an atheist and a Christian who are working towards the same right. thing. So I, have, I had no interest in converting the Reverend Barry Lynn at all. Uh, and it was, you know, it was fun and funny, but it, it's a recognition of something that was important. If we're going to work together towards goals, sometimes it's not, it's going to need to not matter whether or not we agree on everything because mm-hmm. that's never going to happen. I agree with that. And I'd love to see more of those kinds of Christian atheists coming together, doing kind of things. You don't see it too often. No, I, I want to march side by side with yeah. a Christian towards a good cause. Mm-hmm. Then when it's done, grab a bite to eat. And then the two of us sit down and debate the part that we disagree about in front of a crowd and then get up and do the same thing the next day. Yeah. Sounds fun. Yeah. So I, uh, I uh, definitely uh, agree with what you guys are saying. Um, that actually brings up something else I wanted to say. Uh, that like uh, uh, much uh, agreeing uh, with what we were saying earlier, uh, Matt, about um, uh, thinking about the politicians and their issues that mm-hmm. they're bringing up, whether they're uh, uh, you know, an atheist or not, and you know, they, they really never are. So obviously, we we uh, have to deal with the uh, religious one or the other. I mean, there are plenty of religious allies. That's why I brought up those previous um, uh, politicians, knowing that they are probably religious uh, themselves. But that doesn't matter because I feel like they're you can uh, they are movable on these issues. Um, and so, but like you know, for uh, like I, what what I want to. I want to encourage our audience to think critically um, about uh, uh, politicians and like where they actually stand. Like uh, there was something I, I don't want to do, uh, which is what like a uh, Bill Maher uh, did uh, during the Obama administration, right? Uh, Bill Maher liked uh, President Obama a lot, and so he would say constantly on his show that like like well, he says he's a Christian, but I I suspect that he's an atheist. You I'm know? glad you raised Even that point. I'm, yeah, I'm glad you right? made this point because if you hadn't made it, I was about to. Um, oh, okay. Richard Dawkins had also said at one occasion that he was convinced that Obama was an atheist. Um, throughout Obama's presidency, I constantly countered or tried to counter this thing. Uh, the man says he's a Christian. Mm-hmm. He acknowledges that his mother was an atheist. I can't actually read his mind, no matter how much I might pretend to on stage during a magic show. And so I'm going to take him at his word. And I think it was a, mm-hmm. a strategic mistake to try to claim him as an atheist, um, especially when you can't demonstrate it. But w- what happened that was that irritated me just as much is shortly after Trump was elected, um, the former president of American Atheists uh, was giving a talk right before I was, and he stood up to claim that uh, Trump is an atheist and everybody knows it. And I got up to give my talk immediately after one, and I said, well, everybody doesn't know it because I don't. And as far as I can tell, neither do you or anybody else. Because mm. what you're looking, the guy tells me that he's a Christian. I know Christians who are just as, as you know, ha- have moral alignment, I suppose, with Trump, uh, who identify mm-hmm. as Christian. And the thing is, if he were, then I'd say, yep, the president's an atheist and you know, then go on to talk about where we agree and disagree or what I think of him, you know, outside of that. Um, But if he's not going to say he's an atheist, why the fuck would I ever want to claim him? Mm. That's just weird. 
I, it's like, oh, he's on our side, but he's not on our side. Wait, what is our side about? Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I know more Christians that said Obama was a Muslim yeah. than it was an atheist. Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah. um, I, and, and, and kudos and to John McCain for correcting that when she said it. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and this goes to uh, my second part of that point being that um, uh, I mean, there, there are candidates uh, who I, I think might actually be uh, uh, signaling their at least secularism. Um, like, and I know you guys can't endorse anyone. I, I, I know that. But, um, uh, but thank you for acknowledging that. I wouldn't that. even if I could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, um, Bernie Sanders, and I want to say this very, uh, you know, carefully. Um, uh, he is ethnically ethnically Jewish, um, but he performs no nothing like religious, like no Judaism ever, right? Like he, people have asked him about it in the past, and he's been extremely vague on uh, on the issue. And all this policy, none of his policies really acknowledge it. He doesn't do uh, the, uh, the Obama thing, where like he he takes uh, uh, he takes the op- every opportunity to insert like uh, subtly insert religion into uh, things, even by saying you know like may God bless America and all those things. So like I I, I feel like some policies are are trying to uh, signal these things, but of course, I don't know what's in their heart one or the other. I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even say they're trying to signal those things. I would say, if anything, they're trying to avoid being clear about things because of potential risk. When I look at somebody like Bernie, yeah. I see somebody who, irrespective of what he believes about a god, is predominantly a secular Jew in his actions and policies. And so, mm-hmm. if he actually believes in a god. I don't care. My assessment of him with with regard to the politics is about what his policies are. Uh, mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Now, it would be nice, you know, I would prefer that nobody believed anything that was uh, not true. Yeah. Uh, but everybody does. And I'd like to see, I'd like to get to a point where, where what somebody's religious opinions and religious affiliation are, uh, are properly deemed irrelevant. I mean, you go to Article 6 of the Constitution, there should be no religious test for any public office or trust is what it says. But that doesn't mean that there will be no religious test by the public. There can be, there is, and in some cases, maybe there should be. But for me, it's about what are, what are the policies and do I agree with them? Yep, yeah. Great. Agreed. Great conversation, Stan. Thanks for asking that question. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. You guys are great. Thanks. Thank you, Sam. We'll talk to you later. Yeah. I've got to give shorter answers. We're going to run out of time. I know. I know. Well, we only got two more callers here, guys. So uh, stick on the line if you are still on the line. Thanks again, guys, for calling in. If you didn't get to talk to Matt this week, um, you can catch him on Atheist Experience and uh, all his other stuff <laughs> that we'll plug at the end of the show here. Um, and I also, I have an email. I'll just plug it real quick. It's truth at atheist-community.org. That's where you can email me and ask questions about the show and things like that and uh, see what guests are coming up and all, all that kind of good stuff. So let's go ahead and get to these next two calls and kind of wrap things up here. Let's get to Jose in Mexico. Uh, hola, Jose. Uh, what would it take? Let's see. I'm trying to read this here. It says, what would it take to move us from a society uh, that debates? And uh, maybe maybe you can tell me your points here, Jose. My eyes are kind of blurred up here. Okay. Hola, Dan. What's up? Hey, how's it going? And hola, Matt. What's up? Hola, ¿qué tal? Muy bien. Todo bien aquí. Uh, okay, so my question is, 
um, what would it take to move? Uh, well, Mexico and, and the U.S. are very different cases. And yes, last caller actually touched on some of the points I wanted to make because something very similar to what happened in Ohio is going on in a few states regarding abortion and gay marriage. Mm -hmm. So let me get to my question and maybe I can clarify what, what I just meant. Okay. Um, what, what would it take to move to a post-theist attitude where you no, you no longer need, atheists no, no longer needs, uh, need uh, counter-apologetics and debating whether or not a God exists or the, the debate that uh, Matt mentioned about with Mike, Mike Winger yeah. about the resurrection. So what would it take to move on to where we just focus on, like you mentioned uh, today, uh, secularism, the way FFR is doing, and uh, aftercare, the way re recovering from religion is also doing. Yeah, I'm going to start by saying that I, I, I know virtually nothing about politics in Mexico um, and, and will not pretend to. For me, there's two different routes. Number one is you basically change enough minds to where all religious belief and supernatural belief, superstitious belief, things like that, represent a significant minority so that it no longer affects policy. That's the, the long method. The other one is to shift... Um, the public kind of zeitgeist view to the point where religion and irreligion are considered to be on equivalent footing and we have a proper impl implementation of separation of religion and government so that you might have 50% of the people believe in God and 50% of the people that don't. But once everybody recognizes that, if they also understand that the laws that we make govern all of us and they cannot in any way be based on a religion without a proper secular motivation. I mean, oh, well, the Bible says thou shalt not steal, so should we not have laws against stealing? Well, of course we could, and we can give you the secular motivation for doing that. Hey, I like my stuff. I'd rather nobody take it. It's best in our, in our best interest to encourage laws like that. It, this is easy to do. And since you're unlikely to ever change almost everybody's mind about religion, moving towards a proper implementation of church-state separation or religion and government separation is the most viable pathway to get people to recognize. And I think people are recognizing this more and more. I remember years ago, I saw a, a, a blog post from a guy who used to want prayer in schools. And then he went to Hawaii and he was at a football game and he opened the program and he was happy to see that the football game was going to start with a prayer. And then they prayed and it was not a Christian prayer. It was a Hawaiian native religion, mm. you know, from the indigenous Hawaiian people. And that freaked him out. And that was all it took for him to realize that the best policy we can have is to not be starting events with prayers because they're going to exclude somebody. And when we, we can do it with regard to religious monuments, too. On the Capitol grounds here at the state of Texas, there's a Ten Commandments monument, which the U.S. Supreme Court ruled can stay because they consider it part of a larger secular display, even though that's an absolute fucking lie, and you can come down here and look at it yourself and see it. But once we realize that if we were to allow each individual religion to put up its own display on the Capitol grounds, the only way that it could be fair is we, we would run out of space. There would be no grass left and no trees left. It would look like a cemetery of monuments, which I, I have to admit would be really ironic you know, in a thousand years to come back and go look at all these dead religions because that's what it would take to deal with because you've got, you know, 
a variety of different Protestants who are going to all want their own view of the, oh, that we don't agree with what the Baptists say, so we're going to have our own Methodist monument and our own Pentecostal monument and our own Presbyterian monument and our own Seventh-day Adventist monument, et cetera. Oh. It's really easy once, once you show people examples of this to get enough of them to say, oh, wow, yeah, my religion's maybe in the, in the majority now, but there's no guarantee that's going to be the case. And it's about establishing empathy for the fact that other people are going to have to live in a world where they should be valued too. Mm, yeah. And to, I was going to add on to that. You know, I think I think what Matt is saying is good, and I think that's part of the process of how it should go down. I also think, you know, I think of how the LGBT community has come out more and more and, and how the shift of – we were talking about the Overton window on those conversations yes. has changed. Before, talking about being gay was such a taboo topic, and now we talk about <laughs> – all the time yeah. in America, it's not even a big deal. Like it, yeah. There, there are the people who are still fighting against that, but like at least we're having the conversation. At mm-hmm. least it's out there in people's minds. It these conversations about atheism and religious stuff, it's not on people's minds. If anything, people are talking about like uh, the debates on Muslims and things like that. But like that's that's kind of the most to the extent of it. The atheist conversation is not even there. I mean, as far as being recognized on the public sphere, I think if we were to highlight the stories of atheists more in the same way that when we started to look at, at a more empathetic view towards the LGBT community, I think that's the key to convincing people like, oh, not only do we exist, but we've suffered yeah. and we've had um, tons and tons of trouble with this and that this wasn't a decision that came easy to us. Some even say it wasn't a decision at all. It, it was just something that kind of happened to us and like we have not had the representation that we've... You, you do it the same way. How yeah. many how many anti-LGBT rights politicians changed their position once my son, my daughter, my niece, right. my nephew... and. and Okay, that's what needs to happen with regard to secularism as yes, well. Yes, yes. What do you think, Jose? Um, okay, so my question was more uh, aimed at uh, what would it take for atheists to no longer want to debate these topics and and move to to the the fights where where oh. it's really happening. You you mentioned the 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 monuments. So we're, we're ni- ni- neither the Ten Commandments monument nor the Satanic Temple bench to piss people off, or the what, what's how's it pronounced the Bahamut Bahamut statue Baphomet and Baphomet okay and uh, okay uh, at, what we have in Mexico on the books is actually far stricter both in the Constitution and in the the federal laws is far stricter than anything you have in the U.S. Constitution. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, I, I, I'd even argue that it's too strict, you know, because it, it, it actually touches on what priests can and can't say. And, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of free speech. But this, all of this uh, 180 or 100 years of tradition of um, secularism is being threatened, and it's going to be undermined in the coming months and a couple of years. Uh, by the new government, and I mean the, the, the whole me talking about Mexico can be a whole show unto itself. So and, and should be, yeah, yeah. Th- it, that that's a show that should happen. Like I, I would love to get you on the atheist experience on a week when I've got uh, David Tamayo from the, the Hispanic American Freethinkers to talk about this because we've talked about you know Austin. Uh, we have a significant portion of the population uh, that are Hispanic, and yet. 
the atheist community of Austin is largely a Hispanic-free zone. Uh, and the last thing we need is for my pasty ass to run out to, <laughs> to the, you know some part of town and you know say hola would you like to come be atheist you know <laughs> yeah. uh, with my with my garbage you know high school mm. Spanish remnants I would be terrible at it. Well, if this is yeah, the same they're, Jose, they're that, you, they're going to hit you with a rosary using as a, 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 a brass knuckles. Yes, so. yeah. <laughs> if this is the same Jose that messaged me on Twitter about this, I believe you've expressed interest about talking about this on show. I so called, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That was me. And for I, sure, I called when. And apology was on. Yeah, that's yeah. So the, the short answer to well, what well, they are, there are three or four Jose's in Mexico. So I mean, it should be one of us. <laughs> right. There aren't that many of us. Yeah, I, I know one or two. Uh, the short answer yeah. to what you're saying is, is I can only give you from my perspective, which is, I will stop the debating and the activism when it is no longer productive uh, mm -hmm. or apparently no longer needed, and I am virtually certain that that will not happen in my lifetime. Yeah. yeah so I, I, I come, I'm asking if there's a step that we in Latin America can, can skip because we don't have horsemen. We don't have uh, the whole... Uh, well, actually, it did come down to a debate in Mexico 10 years ago or so. Mm -hmm. No, 15 years ago. They came down to Puebla, Mexico, and they had a debate with a horseman and you know noted... <laughs> Mm -hmm. Hashtag, I mean, not hashtag, inf infinity air quotes, historian Dinesh D'Souza. Yeah, Dinesh, Dinesh and I were supposed to debate, but uh, it got canceled. Um, I'd be happy to come down and, and speak or debate in Mexico. It's just that uh, we'd need a translator because my Spanish is terrible. Yeah, well, it, that, that's what I mean. Because yeah. the, the atheist communities in Mexico, they're, they're pretty much non-existent. There's a, a lot of people, because... Since it's eighty or so percent Catholic, yep. But it but it's the whole spectrum of Catholic. From uh, there was a group of uh, regarding the the abortion debate, right? The 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 Yucatan Congress today held prayer. I don't know if there were people, uh, uh, non politicians in the Congress building or the politicians. They were praying against the bill. Oh, okay, sorry, not abortion. Gay marriage, they were praying against the passage of a bill allowing yeah. Yeah. gay marriage in Yucatan. And the state I'm in, Nuevo Leon, which is one of the states that borders Texas, they they voted, uh, they voted in a constitutional amendment to protect the life of the unborn, blah, 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 blah yep. from con conception. You know, the person we need and to put you, I, the person we mostly need to put you in touch with, I've already mentioned, and that's David Tamayo. Uh, because now you'd have somebody who, who who's not only Spanish is, is better, but he he knows all the people and the resources, so that we could have you know the, the rough equivalent of a Mexican four horsemen uh, yeah. that are fundamentally changing that Spanish uh, horsemen. Yes, and <laughs> los jinetes. Yeah. And uh, just to, let me to just finish telling you how messed up this is, okay. and it's going to get even even worse. Uh, oh, good. So abortion is it, it, abortion is not legal in Mexico. On a national level, there are exceptions for rape, incest, and you know, the whole shebang. But they're actually moving in to eliminate that. Yep. And in, in Nuevo León, they passed a constitutional amendment. And then the the human the state human rights commission, which let me the the resolu their resolutions are pretty much toothless, but they can uh, sort of um, bring up a constitutional litigation before the the national supreme court 
to say, okay, you know what, this state constitutional amendment is against the the national constitution. So the commissioner brought up that, and now they're looking to fire her. It's it's messed up, and it's I mean that's that there aren't there there are worse ways to uh, put it, but they're not good at all that words. Mm. Uh, so it's so I'm I'm just saying. I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm just ranting. So I mean, yeah. I, I want to know what would it take in the United States to 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 say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna follow the path of recovering from religion and freedom from religion and and follow that. Th- that was my original question. Right but now, it, now it's just uh, like it, it has to do a lot with the last what, what the last caller said, Ohio and the Texas bill that criminalizes abortion. It's it's uh, well, the Handmaid's Tale. It's we're, it's we're starting to live in the prequel. I think. Yeah, and and I don't know. So I'm 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 the wrong guy to ask for a lot of this. I know that there's uh, we did an American Atheist uh, event in Puerto Rico, and they are working on a lot of similar issues, and they have incredible activists down there. And apart from pointing you to resources like that, and and the answers I've already given, I don't know if I have that much to add on this. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I mean, it sounds like it just has to be grassroots, you know, having conversations and, and just trying to make stuff happen. We already have enough issues here as it is. It's yeah. hard enough. Yeah, I'm, you know? I'm not asking you to come down and solve our problems. That, yeah. that didn't go down. No, trust no. me. If I, if I could come down and fix... Or the time before that or the time before that. Yeah. yeah, if I could come down and fix Mexico, I'd do it in a heartbeat because that's a necessary component to fixing what's wrong here too. For sure. Yeah. Well, we shot we shot the last guys who proclaimed themselves emperors, so that's probably not a good idea. Yeah. And <laughs> and the other guys tried to kill Pancho Villa, and then before that, you ended up with Texas and California. And well, yeah. you can have Arizona. We don't mind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate so, the call, Jose. Was, I, I wish we could yeah, give you, you more thank answers. You very, if it was up to me, uh, you could have everything south of Austin back. But. Yeah, yeah, but it's something to really Good. think about. Thanks. Just because I don't want to move. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks again for the call, Jose. Yeah, thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Thank you, Matt. And um, well, yeah. thank you. We'll see you later. Oh, I meant it's... to ask what I should say instead of adios. Oh, yeah. Uh, Although I don't mind it. <laughs> Just like you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson and I had this conversation about when he he said Godspeed to astronauts, and some atheists came after him. Uh, I was like, yeah, I'm not one of those. There's no way I would come after you for saying Godspeed when that's just a traditional thing and doesn't, yeah. you know, hasta like la you're vista. invoking. That's what you say. Yeah, right? hasta la vista. Yeah. I think, uh, hasta luego. you know, it's funny when you look at the statistics of like AXP in particular and you see that it actually has a really wide, worldwide audience um, in other countries and stuff. And um, I know AXP gets in a lot of messages from people in other countries saying, oh, yes, I feel like nobody's talking about this here. I feel like we don't have voices here and stuff like that. And I, yeah, I just don't have a good answer either. It's it's hard. It's like, what can we do? We already have enough issues here as it is, like you said. And it's, it's you know, I wish we could have a model to just replicate everywhere, but I don't know. I don't know. All right, we get to the last caller of the day. Last caller of the night. This is Rob, who is an agnostic in New York. Rob, can you hear us? Yeah, uh, how can you hear me? I'm on a headset. Yeah, Good. we can hear you just fine. What's up, man? All right, great. Well, first of all, uh, well, first, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Um, I was worried I wasn't going to get on for a second or for a while there. Um, but I want to say um, to Tom, if you're still listening, um, I feel for you, man, and just... Best of luck there. Um, so that said, yeah, I uh, 
I guess what I want to know is your thoughts on, uh, well, actually, first let me ask if you uh, want a fully secular society, but then, uh, go ahead, if you if you could, would you want a fully secular? Me or Matt or both Let's of us? Say, or? Uh, both of us. I, will, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I get what you mean. It's a privilege to be talking to Matt at all. And, uh, uh, unless, either, but. unless a religion is established, is able to demonstrate that it's true, then my answer is absolutely yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, let me actually give you a little bit of background, too. I was raised Jewish. Uh, I was in Hebrew school from about six or seven till I had my bar mitzvah. Uh, didn't do anything in the Jewish faith for a while. And then, actually, I was thinking about this. I spoke to Talkeetan the other day. Uh, forgot to mention, you know, I went on a, a birthright trip um, with a couple friends. And the, one of the main things I took away was just how uh, envious I was of, uh, not of, you know, the, their faith, but just their, their conviction. You know, they're, they're so sure of it. And it's like, man, I really wish I had it just as a coping mechanism. And, and I, I want to say, you know, when I was, uh, when I was learning, you know, everything in Hebrew school, I never thought anybody took this stuff seriously. Like, uh, I think it was Jesse before with the talking snake or, you know, Noah's Ark. I never took it seriously or literally, um, you know, I always thought it was just more metaphorical, you know, more, you know, morality kind of stories and stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm just wondering what your guys' thoughts are on if, say, you know, I decide to run for for uh, office one day, um, you know, and I, you know, um, my, how do I say this? Um, well, okay, like I said, raised Jewish, but uh, basically I'm secular. Um, even when I was being raised, it wasn't like, you know, we were reformed, so it was very, very lax. Uh, so if somebody's, you know, has, again, religion as a coping mechanism for just the fact that, you know, life ends, um, mm -hmm. uh, just for some of, you know, the day-to-day -day struggles uh, of life, you know, just having that as a coping mechanism. But what, uh, if it's not going to affect the decision-making <clears throat> If it's not going to affect other people, what do you guys think of that as, uh, again, I, I know I keep repeating the phrase, but it has a coping mechanism. This or, is, or for, or, this for or me is, for group solidarity. Yeah, this, you know, this for me is real easy. First of all, beliefs don't live in a vacuum. So if you're convinced that something is true you're con and it's not, then you have some bad methodology. And there's no way that you can uh, guarantee, yeah. guarantee that that's Absolutely. not going to affect other decisions. The other thing is religion is a coping mechanism. Um, if, if people aren't taking it literally and thinking they're getting message from God, I'm far less concerned about that, but I would like for them to have coping method mechanisms that are based on science and truth as opposed to a religion. Because if the only thing that's making, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with the fact that, you know, you've lost a loved one and thinking they're in heaven makes you feel better about it, well, I'm not going to complain too much. But I think we should do a better job across the board about teaching people that death is an inevitable part of life, and that gets people to treat people better while they're alive and helps them develop the coping mechanisms to deal with that loss without having to use a fairy tale to do so. Now, Yeah, I apologize for interrupting you. Not, that's, that's not really what I was going for, and I okay. completely agree with you. We shouldn't be you know, relying on uh, things like heaven. I just mean, you know, if somebody has a really, let's say— because I'm not even, I, I, honestly, I'm not really talking about myself. I don't actually pray. Uh, I haven't prayed in years at this point. I did 
mm-hmm. used to sometimes. But uh, if things, you have a hard day, you know, you just have a hard day. And then just because, just out of hope, out of, just out of, you know, just from stress. It's like, you know, why, why is it a problem if you want to just pray to, to nobody? Just pray to, you know, a, a God that's... I, I put it in the same again, category. I, I'm not... I put it in the same I'm category. Not that it's a belief. I put it's it. Not, in, it's not like a belief for me. I put it in the same category as somebody after a long day has a drink because that's their coping mechanism. I don't think either of them are particularly healthy. But if it doesn't actually become a problem, then it's not a problem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was just wondering. Yeah. I mean, so so this is interesting because one of the things that when I was leaving uh, the Christian faith that um, I heard this argument a lot and said, like, oh, people become atheists because they start to lose the Christian community. Like, they're not involved that much in the Christian community, um, which is interesting because that's telling me that, oh, it's part of the community itself that's keeping people in the faith in the first place, like having yeah. these friends and having these places to go and having these activities to do that are meaningful for people's lives. And I, who am I to say that uh, I, I'm going to be against something that, that has something meaningful for people's lives? When it comes down to harming other people, though, I, I think that's where probably Matt would agree with me that it draws the line. You know, yep. like, uh, I, I don't... Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I don't yeah. care if... I got, you know, my parents go to church on Sunday. I'm not going to stop them. <laughs> right, I mean, that's what they want to do. They have friends there. That's fine. Um, if if I'm if they're going to shun other people because of that, they're going to say, "Oh, you're a bad person because you don't go to church with me," or or any kind of. I mean, you can imagine the examples. I think that's where the problem is, and I, yeah, I think yep. it's pretty simple. I, it, it, another comparative yeah. thing is, I, I'm I want religion to end. I would never ever advocate for legislation that would force people to not be religious or not talk about their religion, not have those freedoms. I want people to give it up for good reasons. And the same thing's true if there's somebody who's drinking too much because they're stressful. I want them to give it up for good reasons as well. So I, I put them in the same boat. Mm-hmm. I See, I agree. I just don't necessarily think that um, you can equivocate, you know, just praying for a minute before you go to sleep and, and then having a drink. I mean, one is obviously, well, to me, one is obviously worse, especially if it is the drinking becomes a, a if that's your only drink for the day, there's no, no, no. There's doctors that'll tell you that a, a single glass of wine a day is good for wine, your health. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, well, I, okay. And Christians will say a pray a day is good for your health yep. too. You know, and one of them actually has well, science on their side, and the other one's just making shit up. Yeah, you know, it's funny because it's I'm not really even an advocate for prayer. I just I just wanted to know. Uh, just, just again, just as a coping mechanism, because yeah. I, I really was. That was one thing I really took away. It's like, man, I just. They're so, they seem, I guess to be maybe just plain happier because they have these convictions. And it's just like, God, you know, I'm envious of that a little bit, I have to say. Um, I, you know, I'm not also, because I I'm, not, I don't, I've seen people who seem happier and I'm not convinced they are. Mm, and, okay, and, yes. and the prime example of that is Mormons. Yeah. You're never going to meet friendlier <laughs> happier people yeah. than than Mormons, but it's because their church drills it into them that that's the image they have to to present to everybody else. Otherwise, yeah, they are harming the church. Example. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's, that's a great example. There is a narrative, especially in Christian community, that's like, oh, the Holy Spirit is going to help you in great ways and you're going to feel great and God is with you and stuff. And if you aren't feeling happy and if you aren't feeling the emotions yep. that everyone else is feeling, that can compound your stress and that compounds the negative emotions because it's like, oh, why does this person have it and I don't? I must be doing something wrong. Exactly. And 
that's bad because <laughs> that gets you into <laughs> just areas of thought where you don't want to be, and it's it's harmful. And, and I can say for myself, I was like that for a while. There was a point of time where I was just kind of faking being Christian a little bit because I wanted to appease other people, and I thought it was good for me to do mm. these things, even mm. if I wasn't believing. Maybe God would would take pity on me because at least I'm doing the rituals and things like that, and that wasn't a healthy place for me to be. So, yeah, yeah. But it, I, I'm glad you brought it up, Rob, because it is something worth discussing, and Absolutely. I appreciate the call. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again for having me. Absolutely. Oh, man. A lot of calls tonight. Cool. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. Well, is there anything uh, coming up that you want to announce with your stuff, Matt? Or? Uh, man, I'm terrible. Yeah. I, I do these events, and everybody's like, what do you want? What do, what do, what do you got to promote? Yeah. You know? uh, Patreon.com slash Atheist Debates is where you can go to find my contents available mm-hmm. to everybody for free. If you are able to contribute, great, because that allows me to do more of this and pay my mortgage and not end up homeless. Uh, American Atheist Convention is coming up yep. in Cincinnati, Ohio yep. over Easter weekend. And then the weekend after that is Faithless Forum in Dallas. Yes. Um, I will be there, too. It's going to be fun. And then uh, Eric's doing a debate in Oklahoma, although most of you aren't going to be able to come to that. My, my nephew's uh, graduating high school in May, and nobody's going to go to that but me and my family. So, yeah, yeah, no, we're just... <laughs> I, I, I'm having a good time. Uh, I'm, I'm able to put out the videos, do the lectures and debates, but also do the magic show. The primary magic show is it teaches magic and it teaches skepticism and includes magic in it. Uh, I've got a new partner working with me who's doing the mind reading thing that I used to do and um, we're hoping that turns into something. We're going to do some old school shows, uh, the the faith healing type show and the seance type show yeah. as a way of teaching things. It should be fun. That's awesome. uh, so just keep an eye on my Facebook or Twitter or something. I don't know. Cool, cool. Well, if this is your first time watching Truth Wanted, welcome. I'm the host of the show, Objectively Dan. We do this show every week, Fridays at 7 at Central Time. Um, If you like this show, go ahead, hit subscribe, hit the like button. Um, If you want to get in touch with me and see updates on the show, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Objectively Dan. I'm going to have an email address. It's truth at atheist-community.org. You can also find this show on iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, wherever you want to get your podcasts out there. And uh, yeah, guys, this was a fun show. Matt, I'm so glad that you got to be on. It's a real honor. Me too. And uh, I just had a good time. Anything else you. you want to say before we wrap things up here? No, I'm good. Cool. Thanks. All right. Well, guys, that about wraps it up for another episode of Truth Wanted. Always keep wanting the truth, and we'll see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.